0: Thanks for joining us at the Liberty City podcast. Liberty City values each person's unique experience with faith and we hope that this word impacts you today. Well, hello everybody and welcome to church. I am really looking forward uh, to preaching this message, but how good is March Madness going to be? I am so looking forward to all of the incredible speakers that we have in March. But today we are going to dive in to the book of Jonah. So right now I encourage you to get your Bible uh, because it might take a while. The book of Jonah usually is about two or three pages at most and so it's not the usual one that you can just flick to you know unless you're just an absolute Bible scholar. Um, You can't just kind of flick over to the New Testament and find the book of Matthew Um, and so why don't you jump into your it's okay to jump into your context and have a look at the exact page so that you can go with me to the book of Jonah and I'm really looking forward to diving into this today we're starting in Jonah 1. Jonah 1 verse 1 says this and I'm reading from the New Living Translation today the Lord gave this message to Jonah, son of Amittai Get up and go to the great city of Nineveh. Announce my judgment against its people, because I have seen how wicked its people are. But Jonah got up and went in the opposite direction to get away from the Lord. He went down to the port of Joppa, where he found a ship leaving. The Tarshish. He bought a ticket and went on board, hoping to escape from the Lord by sailing to Tarshish. But the Lord hurled a powerful wind over the sea, causing a violent storm that threatened to break, it, break the ship apart. Fearing for their lives, the desperate sailors shouted to their gods for help and threw the cargo overboard to lighten the ship. But all this time, Jonah was sound asleep down in the hold. So the captain went down after him. How can you sleep at a time like this? He shouted, get up and pray to your God. Maybe he will pay attention to us and spare our lives. Then the crew cast lots to see which of them had offended the gods, little G, and caused the terrible storm. When they did this, the lots identified Jonah as the culprit. Why has this awful storm come down on us? They demanded. Who are you? What is your line of work? What country are you from? What is your nationality? Jonah answered, I am a Hebrew and I worship the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the land. I'm laughing because we'll get to that soon. The sailors were terrified when they heard this for he had already told them he was running away from the Lord. "Oh, why did you do it?" they groaned. And since the storm was getting worse all the time, they asked him, "What should we do to you to stop this storm?" "Throw me into the sea," Jonah said, "and it will become calm again." "I know that this terrible storm is all my fault." Instead, they're so good. Instead, the sailors rowed even harder. <laughs> To get the ship to the land. But the stormy sea was too violent for them, and they couldn't make it. Then they cried out to the Lord Jonah's God. O oh Lord, they pleaded, don't make us die for this man's sins, and don't hold us responsible for his death. O oh Lord, you have sent the storm upon him for your own good reasons. Then the sailors pitched Jonah up, threw him into the raging sea and the storm stopped at once. The sailors were awestruck by the Lord's great power, and they offered him a sacrifice and vowed to serve him. Now the Lord had arranged a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the book of Jonah. We thank you for this book. And Father, would you help us to understand that this, uh, there is so much in this book for us? Would you speak to us today, no matter where we are? And Lord, have your way through this message. In Jesus' mighty name. And every person said, Amen. I'm excited uh, to preach this message. And if you're taking notes today, my message is entitled, Jonah, more than a fish story. Jonah, more than a fish story. And today's message is going to look a little different. I don't really have like the one, two, three point, although I do have three points, (laughs) but they're a little different. They're more like a beginning, middle and end because I really wanna break down the story for us. I wanna talk about the hard truth of the story. I wanna talk about the tragedies of the story. And then I wanna talk about the lessons of the story so let's dive right in to this amazing book the book of jonah and let's first talk about the hard truth of the story let me start off by saying this the story is not about a fish it is not about a whale I couldn't come up with a better name other than Jonah, more than a fish story, because as I started to read this book in depth and really started to dive into my study with this book, I started to realize this story is not about a whale. This is not a kid's story. And I think if you're anything like me, although I didn't grow up as a Christian, Um, I wasn't familiar with stories like Jonah and the whale growing up. I certainly became familiar once I became a Christian. I was never really familiar with Veggie Tales, although I would put it on over to the side while my kids would watch it as a parent, um, and so I'm not sure what kind of vegetable Jonah was, but for you and for me, perhaps you, uh, when you think of Jonah, you think of uh, whatever vegetable he was. Was he a tomato? Was he a, a cucumber? And all of the stories of veggie tales. For me, I just think about a whale. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just think about Jonah and the whale. It's just a story about this big whale and he goes into the whale and he spits him out. We think of it as a kid's story, but if we continue to think of it as a kid's story, then we're truly going to message the beauty and the lessons that are found in this very short but very important and very different book that we find in the Bible, the book of Jonah. So let's jump into the real story. We find Jonah, who is a prophet of God, uh, being called by God to go on a mission, but he runs away. Uh, As we journey further into the book, we realize that he's not running away because he's afraid. He's running away because he doesn't like the people that God has called him to serve. He doesn't like them. In fact, he kind of almost hates them. And we find out about that reason later on. He literally says to God, that is the reason. Um, Nineveh were the enemies of Israel. He wasn't running out of fear of them, he just didn't like them. And this book as well is, is written so differently to any other book in the Bible. It's stunning. Orthodox Christians have two views, Orthodox Christians have two views of this book. The first one being that it's an accurate historical writing of true events that took place just as it says. The second being it's written like a narrative parable, similar to a parable that Jesus shares in the book of Mark that perhaps happens, but maybe in a more chill way, using a well-known character that people knew of at the time. Personally, I don't get hung up on that stuff. I believe that either one is possible. I believe in miracles. Our whole faith uh, stands, sits on the fact that uh, Jesus rose from the dead. I've seen miracles take place. I've experienced miracles myself. So for me personally, it is not hard to believe that this story actually took place. If God is God, he can do whatever God wants to do. Um, I believe either way that God is trying to get a very clear message or a bunch of clear messages to us through this story. What both camps believe is that this truly is a beautiful beautiful piece of writing. Most theologians would describe this as a satire. Satires are mostly fictional, but can be non-fiction as well. And it's important for us to understand what a satire is in order for us to truly embrace this book for what it's worth. A satire is a genre of literature and performing arts, usually fiction, less frequently non-fiction, in which vices, follies, abuses, shortcomings are held up uh, to ridicule, ideally with the intent of bringing to light the um, inadequacies, the shortcomings of individuals or governments or society itself into improvement. You, you sit back and you kind of laugh at these main characters and you laugh at their shortcomings and then you realize that actually we do that ourselves. And, and that is what a satire is. Some famous satires um, examples uh A Midsummer Night's Dream. In fact, much of what Shakespeare wrote was satire. Uh, the book Animal Farm, uh, the book and the movie Fight Club is a satire. Uh, one of my favourite ones is Office Space. <laughs> Office Space is a great satire. Wally uh, is a satire. Saturday Night Live is a satire. And so this book when you read it through those eyes just starts to come alive it's incredible it's full of exaggeration full of comedy irony and wit for example the only character in the book that knows god is the only one who's running from him it's it's ridiculous and not just running from him to so that you can get context Tarshish and Nineveh are 3,000 miles apart. That is Ottawa to Ireland. That was as far as his, uh, you know, known world was. That was as far as he could go. The man of God, the only character in the book who is supposed to know God as the one who's running from him, Is the one who's disrespecting him, is just, uh, to be honest, just a, a bit of a ridiculous character. Uh, The pagans and the evil men are the ones who turn to God the quickest, are the ones who are open to him, are the ones who repent quicker than even the man of God. In this story, uh, everything is big. Everything is exaggerated. The storm is big. The fish is big. The city is described as like a three days journey through the city. There was no ancient city back then that was anywhere near that big. Everything is big. One of the parts that's so funny for me is that the book starts off with Jonah's name. Jonah, son of Amittai. (laughs) Amittai means faithfulness. And yet the most unfaithful character in this book is Jonah. It is just so funny, there is so much in it and there is so much for us to learn in this book. It is so much more than a kid's story. It is so much more than a fish story. And here is the hard truth. Uh, The hard truth of the story that is more than a fish story is that as we sit back and as we laugh and scorn the prophet, the main character, this tragic and useless and hypocritical man of God, we come to this awful realization. This is a satire. This story is highlighting a bunch of faults, and the faults are with you and with me. We are Jonah. This story is written for us, about us, so that we can laugh and then cringe as we realize that we are not laughing at some distant story of some historical character, but we are indeed laughing at ourselves. This story is about us. And that, my friends, is the hard truth of the story. So now let's dive into the tragedies of the story. And I wanna, I wanna get through these next parts pretty, pretty quick because I really wanna get into the lessons of the story but let's talk about some of the tragedies of the story. The one who is supposed to run to God is the one who is running away. The prophet, the man of God, is running away from God's plan, why? Because he believed that he knew better. He had a better plan, maybe less risky, not as big, safer, and certainly not one that involves the people that he despised the most. Like I said earlier, he explains later in the text why he didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it wasn't because he was afraid, like we all grow up believing. He wasn't afraid of the fact that Nineveh were known for skinning people alive. That wasn't the reason why he was running. He wasn't afraid. It literally says, he literally says to God, it's because he knew that God was gracious and kind. It's hilarious. He knew that the Lord, and whenever it talks about the Lord, capital L, it's talking about Yahweh, the personal name of God. He knew that Yahweh would, jo- would bring a joyful ending to the people who Jonah believed did not deserve it. Jonah thought that he knew better. He thought he had a better plan. He didn't want to see God's grace come to Nineveh. And it's tragic to think, tragic to think that this man believed that he deserved the grace of God, but he didn't want to see the same grace extended to others, especially those who he disagreed with, especially those who he didn't like. The tragedy is not just that he said no to God, but that he saw himself more highly than he ought. The man who knew God's grace, who had experienced God's grace and relationship for himself, didn't want to see those who he disliked experience that as well. What a tragedy of our faith and how often we put ourselves in the same tragic situations. We run from his plan, not because we're afraid, but because we believe we know best. Does that sound familiar? The other tragedy, of course, has got to be the hypocritical nature of his journey. The man who is supposed to represent God, he is the prophet, he is supposed to point to God in ways that glorify God to others, does a terrible job of it. He boards the ship with men of Joppa who are pagans, who don't know the Lord, who don't know Yahweh. And when the storm arises, they cry out to all their gods, trying to figure out, they're trying to figure out what's going on. And then they finally go to Jonah and he's asleep. At the moment when the sailors are crying out to their God, what an opportunity to cry out to the one true God and help those. They're literally, these pagan men are just trying to find the answer. They're they're crying out. Does this sound familiar? They're crying out to God, to their many gods, trying to figure out who is this God? What is going on? And at the moment where the man of God who is supposed to live his life pointing to God, at the moment where he could be there and help to bring that revelation of who the one true God is, he is found sleeping. He's sleeping. Let's jump into it again into the scripture because I want to share the New King James version because it says something really interesting. Uh, it says this, then they said to him, once they've woken him up, "Please tell us, for whose cause is this trouble upon us? What is your occupation, and where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you?" So he said to them, listen to this, he said, "I am a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, Yahweh. I fear Yahweh, the God of heaven, catch this, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said, why have you done this? The hypocrisy of the moment. Looking at the man who, just, just, just imagine, put yourself there. Jonah's like, oh, I fear the Lord, Yahweh. I fear Yahweh, who in fact made the sea. Their whole issue right now is the sea. And this guy is standing in front of them, who has boarded his boat, who says that he fears his God. Oh, and God also made the sea. But I thought it would be a great idea, even though I fear him, to get on a boat. By the way, yeah, he, he runs the ocean. Like he he owns the sea. Imagine being one of those guys. What a witness to a man of God. What a moment of just great hypocrisy. Not only did his actions, Jonah's actions, his running away put others in real danger. Think about that. But then he stands there saying that, oh, I fear Yahweh. I fear the Lord. I love God, but I hurt people. I fear the Lord. Um, Who created the sea? But I got on a boat. He had lost his fear. He had become too familiar in a way that lacked respect for who God truly was. He had become too familiar with God, and not familiar in a way that's wonderful, not familiar like, man, I know you so well, I spend time with you, and that's why I stand in awe of you, which he's talking about, the fear of God, just like, whoa, that's amazing. He had become too familiar to the point where he now was a hypocrite. He didn't fear God, otherwise he wouldn't have got on the ocean. He had lost his fear, and that is one of the tragedies of this story. And remember, this story is not about some distant character, is not some old historical writing. This story is about you and it is about me. So now let's jump into the lessons of the story. We've talked about hard truths of this story. We've talked about the tragedies of this story, and hopefully now it's becoming more than just a Jonah and the whale story. Let's talk about the lessons of the story. The first lesson that I pick up on and I'll try and go through these quick so that I can get to the real cracks of this message. The first lesson I pick up on is that most of us are not afraid of our calling. We just think we know better. Most of us are not afraid of our calling. We just think we know better. You see, Jonah, he wasn't afraid. He just didn't like God's idea and he didn't like the people that God had called him to. For example, Levi's not afraid of instructions, especially Ikea instructions. He's not afraid of them. He just thinks he knows better, or he just can't be bothered, and we could be like that with our calling. We we just think we know better, or to be honest, we just can't be bothered. We're like, we got this, or we're just over people. We get over people, and we can't be bothered because God's calling a lot of the time. Uh, includes people. It amazes me the amount of content, uh, content out there um, that people put up about how to do better, how to be a better leader, how to be a better parent, how to be a better pastor. And yet so many of these people putting out this content are not, not actually, never actually uh, do anything on the field of humanity. They just love commentating because it's easy to talk. It's harder to walk. It's easy to see things. It's harder to actually step out and do it. It's sometimes easy to read the instructions. It's just hard to actually follow fully the instructions. Um, And here's the question you can ask yourself. What is it that God has asked of me that I'm running from? or that I just can't be bothered doing. It's just so much easier to sit back and just watch other people do it. And I can help them get better. I can help them do better. No, we need to get on the field. What has God asked of you? What has he asked you to do that you don't like the idea of? Or that you simply can't be bothered doing? And I encourage you to write it down. The second lesson that I um, pick up on is, our decisions mean something. And our disobedience does not just affect us. Here Jonah was thinking that he could make his own decisions, do his own thing. He wasn't out there um, hurting anybody necessarily. And yet by his actions and by his disobedience, by him choosing that I'm going to know what's right for me in my life, which is just so rampant in our society today. I'll oh, just do you. He Look, Jonah was just doing him. Just do you, you'll be all good, as long as you're not like, you know, intentionally out there hurting anybody, just do you. And so off he goes, gets on a ship without realizing that all of his disobedience, and and we hate that word, because it's yuck, it's ugly, like, ah, control, control, red flag. Um, But the truth is, is that we are called to be obedient to God because he has our best intentions. And so all of his disobedience and all of his decisions ended up affecting those around him. Don't be naive enough to think that you can just live your life and go about making your own moral, you know, having your own moral compass and making your own decisions as long as you don't hurt anyone. Because listen, we are imperfect. That's why God gave us his word. That's why he gave us his Holy Spirit, because we need help. Otherwise, our decisions that are imperfect end up leading to uh, things taking place to people getting hurt, to um, outcomes that affect those around us. Uh, The next lesson that that I learned from this story and from the tragedy and from the truth of this story is that if we truly see God as God, then start acting accordingly. It means something to those in our world that what we say we believe in is also how we live to the best of our abilities. We are gonna make mistakes for sure, but let's not be the person who stands in front of others saying we fear God, like Jonah did, and yet behaving in a way that does not show it. If we love God, if we fear Him and view Him for all that He truly is, then start acting accordingly. The next lesson I learn is that some of us are spiritually asleep at the moment that we are most needed. He's asleep when the, at the moment when the pagans are calling out, trying to figure out what's going on. Jonah is asleep in the boat. He's asleep. He's, he's started to disconnect spiritually from, from the things of God. He's walking away from the calling of God. He doesn't like God's idea. And at the time when people are looking for the one true God, he is found asleep. The man of God is found asleep. I'll never, forget an illustration that that I heard as a teenager about how um, in the ancient world, they would uh, they would sacrifice their babies to the God of Molech. And um, in order to make sure that the parents wouldn't try and get the children out of the fire, they would have drums playing. And the reason for the drums is because as soon as the parents heard the crying of the children, they would want to turn back and get their children and get their babies. And so they would have drums to drown out the crying of a generation. And I'll never forget this preacher getting up and saying, what are the the drums that are playing in your life that are stopping you from hearing the sound of a crying generation? And it's interesting that these sailors, they cry out to God. There are people crying out for truth. What is causing you to slumber? What is causing you right now to be asleep? Is it your pride? Is it, is it your journey that you're on because you're trying to figure things out and you want to, you want to be right. You want to, at the end of the day, we love Jesus. Jesus is the way. Don't lose your faith. I preached about it a while ago about how if you've got a leak in your bucket, in your faith bucket, fix it. Fix the leak and then answer all the questions surrounding it. But don't give up on Jesus. Don't start tearing things down because you agree with people who are trying to figure things out. Yes. The, the, the church globally. There are so many areas where we need to improve. But man, Jesus is Jesus and he is building his church. And so let's, uh, let's not be asleep at the wheel. Let's not be spiritually asleep. Let's not let things drown out the cries of a generation and let's continue to point people to Jesus point to Jesus you know Levi and I were talking just the other night this is off topic but we were talking I think last night and we we're just talking about how there, there are so many people right now like the big thing to, to do these days as a Christian is to really solidify like you know what truth is here what truth is there um, and and figure out what you believe and all of all of that there is so much of that that is positive but not at the expense of who Jesus is not at the expense of what he's trying to build. And I said to Levi, you know, all of the um, theology, all of the reading, all of that, I just don't know if any of that is going to make a true difference. What's going to make the difference is that we love people, that we maintain relationship, that as Christians, we are the ones who... um, are always there. We're the ones who love Jesus and who love his people. That when people go through ups and downs and all sorts of different journeys in their lives, that we're still there, that we remain, that we love. And that is what relationship is, what is going to truly bring glory to Jesus, is is what is going to build the kind of church that, that God is looking to build. Keep the faith. Uh, the next lesson that I, that I learn is we too easily let those who have hurt us send us running away from the plan that God has for us. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> we too easily let those who have hurt us send us running away from the plan that God has for us. And Jonah did this. The, the Ninevites, they, they had hurt everything that he stood for. He disliked them. They were awful. They were the people that when he thought about people who make him cringe, they were those people. We've all been there. People mess up. We don't like it. We don't like them. But don't allow that to cause you to run away from what God has asked you to do. That's not going to hurt them. That's just going to hurt you. (laughs) Uh, The next lesson that I learned is that God cares about those you don't he may even use you to reach those people. And as I, as I start to bring this to a close, I want to finish off by reading some of the final scriptures in this book because it's a very short book. I encourage you to go and read it. Um, it goes on and it's hilarious because he finally gets to Nineveh and this is what he says. Like, he is so grumpy. Jonah is so grumpy after he's, you know, tried to get away. Then he gets swallowed by a fish. Then he finally repents once the fish has kind of swallowed him up. Then God asks him again to go and he finally goes. And he's so grumpy about it that this is literally what he says as he's going through the city of Nineveh. This is the only thing he says. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. That's it. In the Hebrew, that's three words. This man of God is so annoyed at these people. He so dislikes these people. He is so mad that God is giving these people grace that he says all of three words. He doesn't even mention Yahweh, the Lord. He doesn't even mention his name, no mention of him. 40 days from now, Nineveh will be destroyed. But you know what's crazy is that God still uses it. The whole city, turns back to God. And this is why I love this book. The cows repent. The king, the evil king, he repents and he says, even the 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 livestock have to wear sackcloth so that they repent. The whole city (laughs) repents, which is just awesome. This book is both moving and powerful and hilariously funny that the cows are repenting. And so even though Jonah is just being such a calloused man <laughs> with three words, all of three words, the whole city comes back to know God. And then uh, finally in Jonah 4, in the final chapter, which is entitled, Jonah's anger at the Lord's mercy. Jonah's anger at the Lord's mercy. It says this, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. Now remember, whose plans? Because that was always God's plan. Jonah's plans. Jonah had plans. He didn't like God's plan. He thought his plan was better. And so it starts off by saying, this change of plans greatly upset Jonah. And he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it, to Yahweh about it. And hear this. This is just next level. He says, Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That is why I ran away to Tarshish. Like I mentioned, we get the reason. It's not out of fear. It's because of this next sentence. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God. He's angry, guys. I knew that you were a merciful and compassionate God. Slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Can you imagine this? And then he says this, you are eager to turn back from destroying people. And he finishes off by saying, just kill me now. Lord, I'd rather be dead than alive. If what I predicted, what my plans, what I wanted will not happen. And the Lord replied, is it right? for you to be angry about this." Now, this is all funny. We laugh, we're we're like, oh, this guy's an idiot. Look at the mercy that he was showing. Look at it, how dare he say this? Like, what? But like any good satire, you look at the ridiculous of the character and realize that you do this as well. I do this. Is it right for you to be angry, God says again, In another translation, he says, do you have a good reason to be angry? And my final lesson today, and I really believe that this, for me, this is what the book of Jonah is all about. And I'm sure that there will be different takeaways for everybody. But for me, this is what it's all about. And the final lesson is we must forgive. We must forgive. Today, let me ask you this question, who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to forgive? Jonah's hardness towards Nineveh, his unforgiveness and judgment of their behavior, of the way that they did things, his dislike for that group of people, led him to run, to fight, to put others in danger, to want to die. Remember, he says to the sailors, just throw me over the boat. We read that and we're like, oh, he's so good. He's just wanting to make sure that the sailors don't end up in danger. No, he multiple times is trying to die so that he doesn't have to see the people that he despises the most receive God's grace and be forgiven. Think about that for a moment. And right up until the end, he is calloused. And I pray that that won't be us. If there's one final lesson here, it's that we must forgive. God shows us a clear picture of how he is so willing to extend his mercy, and yet we find it so hard. Who is the person that comes to mind for you? Who are the people in your journey in life, who is it that comes to mind when you are thoughtful of perhaps someone that you need to give, for, forgive or some people that you need to forgive? Who sends you fleeing for Tarshish when God just points it out, hey, you need to go there. You need to, you need to sit this, this area. You need to forgive these people. Who sends you fleeing for Whose name, when you see it on a text message, when you see it on Instagram, you might see a post from them, someone might mention their name, whose name makes you cringe on the inside? And right now I encourage you to allow God to speak to you. And I pray that right now as we receive this communion, this bread and this wine, that we would start to realize that we are Jonah. We have received God's grace, God's kindness, God's mercy. And so we too have to come to a place where we can give that to those who have hurt us, who we disagree with, who we despise, who we dislike. Let our hearts not become calloused. So um, would you just take your, your bread and your juice or your wine today and together we're going to receive communion and really to just remember what it is that Jesus did for us that he took away our sin that he made a way for us that he gave us his grace and so right now why don't you receive that and I'm going to pray as you do thank you Lord God I just thank you father for your grace And today, we thank you that you strengthen us in order so that we can forgive. Help us, Lord. Help us to forgive those who we need to forgive. Father, would you speak to us? Would you highlight? Would you search our hearts? And Father, would you help us to forgive so that we can heal and we cannot allow our hearts to be hardened and calloused Help us to see ourselves in this story. Help us to recognize that just like we need your grace, so we should be able to extend that same grace, that same forgiveness to others. Holy Spirit, would you come, would you move? As people receive the bread, and as people receive the wine, let us remember all that you have done for us. Let us not hold pride in our hearts. Let us not think of ourselves more highly than we ought. Let us remember the grace and the love that was extended to us freely. And Father, help us to forgive. We thank you for what you did for us on the cross. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name. And every person said, amen. You know, um, you may not know Jesus and uh, you may, and I want, I want you to stay, if you're a Christian, I want you to um, stay focused at this part because this is not just for the new Christian. But you may not know Jesus and you're saying to me, man, I need a relationship with him. I've got some good news for you. The cool thing about Jesus and the story of Jonah is that Jesus was the better Jonah. and and it's remarkable to me uh, the thing, the similarities that we see and I guess the two stories going alongside each other, that Jesus was the better Jonah. Jesus too, was sent with a message to redeem his people. But instead of running, like Jonah ran, he goes freely. Jesus is also found at one point sleeping in a boat like Jonah was, but instead of the storm getting worse, he calms the wind and the waves just as he speaks. Instead of three days in the fish, Jesus spends three days in the grave. And instead of being angry at the forgiveness of others, he gave his life so that we too could be forgiven. Jesus loves you today and he wants to start a relationship with you. And we believe that by praying a simple prayer, you invite Jesus into your heart. You invite him to be your Lord and Savior. That's really simply, that's like, him standing in front he stands in the gap with the sinless life that he lived so that when God looks at you he sees the son he sees Jesus and so then we can boldly approach God we can boldly approach the throne and not only that we can live a life because the Holy Spirit comes alive in us And we can live a life with Jesus, with the Holy Spirit, with the Father, not alone in this life, but walking with them, them helping us to live the kind of life that God has intended for you. And so I'm gonna say a line of a prayer and by simply repeating the line of the prayer and really believing it in your heart, repenting, having a, I guess, a U-turn, not a 360, a 180 by repenting and saying, Jesus, I need you in my life. I see what you did and, and I need you to stand in the gap. By doing that, that's starting your relationship with Jesus. That's beginning your Christian journey. And from there, our hosts who are down in the chat would love to start a chat with you. After this prayer, you'll get a chance to just click the button saying, "I, I raised my hand. And we would love to journey with you because it doesn't just finish here. We don't want you to do this alone. We want to be there to support you and help you be discipled through your journey as a Christian. But this moment can be a powerful moment. And it doesn't matter if you're sitting in your kitchen, if you're sitting in your car, or if you're sitting at home. I believe that this moment can change your life forever. And so the prayer goes like this, and I encourage every Christian to pray this prayer as we join together in support for anyone who's making this decision today. It goes like this, Dear Jesus, I thank you for what you did for me on the cross. I ask, Lord, would you forgive me of my sins? Would you stand in the gap? Would you walk with me? And I thank you that you do. I thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Jesus. Amen, every person said, amen, amen. Well, Church, I hope that you enjoyed uh, diving in to the book of Jonah today. Uh, Later on, I'd love to do um, a few sermons around the book of Jonah because there's just so much to unpackage. But my hope today is that you would understand that the book of Jonah is more than a fish story and truly my hope is that we would all leave today a little bit lighter having been thoughtful of perhaps those people in our lives who we need to forgive pray you have a great week and uh, we will see you next week for march madness see you later church we're so glad you joined us at liberty city podcasts please check us out on social media and find an event to connect with us